Well, it's really good to see you today. And if you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here. You're always welcome to what we have uh, going on. In just a few weeks, October 14th, 15th, 16th, we have a group. We're taking a mission trip to Surprise, Arizona. That's right outside Phoenix to a church plant we partner with called Asante Church. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can go online and get some information or just contact Joe Andrews. He was the squirrely looking guy that was up a little while ago talking to you. Excuse me, Joe. So you do that. Uh, we're in a series entitled Saul of Tarsus. Saul is better known by most people as Paul, the apostle, but he was born, Saul, from the city of Tarsus, and, and he had an amazing life. No one influenced the Christian faith outside of Jesus as much as Paul. And to come and look at his life, his quest, as a journey, to try to understand something about that influence and exactly what happened while he was ministering to the world about him and around him, uh, we saw at the very beginning of this series uh, a very simple statement that I hope has is, is kind of stayed with you a little bit. It, it kind of moves, at least from my perspective, what's trying to accomplish in this uh, two-month series. And basically, I made the statement that the story of Jesus is the most important story in the world and how his story impacts your story is the most important story in your world. Paul was impacted by Jesus. It changed his life, and Paul's story changed. And the reason Paul could endure so much, the reason Paul could suffer so much, is because he wanted the story of Jesus to change the story of the lives of people everywhere. Today's message is entitled Rejection. It comes from Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 11, kind of following through on where we were last week a little bit in Paul's chronological journey. It's called rejection because people rejected him and rejected Jesus. And we should not be surprised that that happened. We, we have seen that Paul, when you know, he was kind of run out of northern Greece, run out of different places uh, where he was ministering. And one of the things that I asked last week as I began that message is we are looking at the people we're trying to share Christ with. Are you prepared to take advantage of the opportunities you have to tell the story of Jesus? Because like Paul, we never know where we're going to find ourselves or where we're going to be and having an opportunity to share that story of Jesus. Are you prepared for that? But I also mentioned this, that we live in a culture that is counter to Christ. And I talk about this a lot. We live in a culture that rebels against God, that rejects Jesus rejects us as well. While we are to love the people of the culture, we cannot open our arms up and embrace the values and the practices and the desires of that culture. But we do have to encounter them on a daily basis in the love of Jesus. We have to engage them with the gospel, and we have to be willing to walk away. And with that walking away in mind, here's the thing that I want to share with you from this message today. And it's kind of a tough thing, but it's an important thing. And it's this, while one person is willing to reject Jesus and walk away, another person may be willing to trust Jesus and follow him. It is easy to get discouraged. It's easy to think that no one is ever going to follow. But the moment you think that all will reject, there will be those who follow. I begin the message today sharing with you that the message of Jesus took off. I don't think we realize this, that there are times in the story of the book of Acts, and there's times in the New Testament where you see just the message of Jesus take off and people just begin following and following and following. You see that in Acts chapter 2. It's kind of obvious. The Holy Spirit comes, and boom, everything breaks out. But there are other times 
as well where that happens. I shared last week that, uh, that Paul had been in Athens. He, he was spending a few days to kill in Athens. He had been run out of Thessalonica, run out of Berea. He wanted to get down to Corinth. That's where he's headed. He was going to wait a little bit for Timothy and, and Silas to come. And so he had some time to kill in Athens. But Athens wasn't the place he wanted to go. The place Paul wanted to go was Corinth. For Corinth was one of the most important cities in the world. Now, we may not realize this, but the movement of the gospel when it takes off, oftentimes is from large metropolitan areas. It's not that the smaller areas aren't important. They are. But the larger areas kind of filter out and go out to the smaller areas. There are two major cities that Paul ministered in. And it's not Rome and Jerusalem like we may think. It's Corinth and Ephesus. From 48 AD, when Paul began his first journey, to 58 AD, when he was arrested in Jerusalem, in that 10-year period, he spent almost half that time, he spent four and a half years, either in Corinth or in Ephesus. He wrote seven letters to those two churches and those cities. Four to Corinth, though we only have two, but there are two other that are mentioned that we don't have. Three to Ephesus, there's Ephesians, there's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, because Timothy was in Ephesus, and he made numerous stops there. So these were important places. In fact, here's where we pick up in chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. After he killed some time in Athens and shared the gospel in the synagogue and in the marketplace and in, the, you know, Areopagus, when he shared in all those places, it says a few people came to faith, a few. But that's okay. Some came to faith. I mean, he wasn't even expected to go there. He went to Corinth. Now, Corinth was a far more important city than Athens. Athens had the reputation and the culture, but its heyday was long over. Corinth was a city, it, it, it was a port city, you know, a seaside city where, where trade happened. And, and like, like back then, just like now, when you're a port city, you're, there's a lot of immorality. There's a, there's a lot of corruption. Oh, there's a whole lot of money, too. And that was Corinth. And Paul knew that if he get to Corinth, he could begin to get the message out to the world. And it was just like Athens was a very religious place, but it was very, very pagan. Paul was there in Corinth. And here's what we see. After he, uh, after he found, and he found a Jew named Aquila. He was a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So he came to them. Now, this is just kind of, it looks like this is just kind of a, a footnote. You know, what's the importance of the story? Well, Priscilla and Aquila, while seeming to be very minor characters, are actually pretty important in Paul's story in his life. Several years ago, I preached a series of messages about Priscilla and Aquila, at least connected to them. They appear at least about a half a dozen times, some of them, most of them, in, in Paul's story connected to Paul in his letters. Uh, they were Jewish people, two Jews who were married, who came from Rome. At some point before Paul ever got there, before Peter ever got there, probably right after Pentecost, Rome being the most important city around, Jesus' story, the message got to Rome. People, you know, Jews began to believe they were too. Now, we know that in about 49 or 50 AD, the historian Suetonius tells us that the emperor Claudius expelled a lot of Jews. There was controversy over a guy named Christos. Christos, in Suetonius' story, is very similar to Christos, Christ. And so many believe, and probably with some degree of accuracy, that there was a kind of an uproar among the Jews about Jesus, the Christ. And so Claudius expelled them. And that would have been these two. Priscilla and Aquila would have gone. They end up in Corinth. Eventually they'll end up in Ephesus. Then they'll go back 
home to Rome, all in the process of helping Paul fulfill his ministry. Now, we see in verse 3 this. He went to them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. So Paul being um, still a Jewish man, I mean, he's Jewish still. That didn't ever change, but he's a follower of Christ. Paul had a trade. He was expected, even among rabbis and Pharisees, teachers, and his trade was the maker of tent. Tents, that would be uh, uh, working with leather, working with canvas to make, to make these types of goods to sell. He was working with them, you know, kind of providing for his needs. Verse 4 says this, and he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. Now, we saw last week in Athens, he would go to the synagogue. That's where he always went. That's where he started. Yes, he was called to minister to the Gentiles, but he always started with the Jews. And part of the reason is, in Europe, there would be Gentiles there. He said he went there to reason, and he was trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. The Greeks would be the Gentiles who were tended to believe the Jewish God, you know, the Yahweh, our God. Now, as I shared last week, Gentiles didn't want to become Jewish. But that didn't mean that there weren't some who were caught up with, and rightly so, and followed and committed to the worship of the God of the Jews. You don't see it as much in the area of Jerusalem and Judea. You see it some. There's a few that we see there. But, but when you get out into the, the Greek world, the European world, you see more of that. And part of it was because the Jews were probably more open to Gentiles coming in places where they were the minority. And so Paul went there, like it says in Athens, to reason, to dialogue with them. Verse 5 tells us then... Timothy and Silas came down from Macedonia. They met Paul in Athens, I mean, in, in, in Corinth. He waited for him in Athens, came on down. And at that point, probably they brought money with them to help support Paul uh, from the church at Philippi because Paul mentions that in other places. Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. The word devoting means to be committed. The word of God, the logos, is really the message of Jesus. When it says he was devoted, he was completely devoted to the story, to the message of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles had begun to be sidetracked from their primary responsibility to take care of the Greek-speaking widows. And so it says they got seven guys to help with that so they could be devoted to the word. He was solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. This is the fundamental message. That Jesus is the Messiah they have longed for. Remember that, and I've shared this to you a lot, that they didn't have a New Testament when Paul was doing all this. He hadn't written any of it yet. Now, he had probably written Galatians by now. James may have written his letter, and that's it. So they, they weren't circulating that scripture. So they would go to the Old Testament, and they would show that in the Old Testament, what they called the scriptures, we call it the Old Testament, they were just the scriptures, Pointed to Messiah, Jesus fulfilled that. Remember when I tell you all the time, all the time I tell you the Old Testament's a book of promise and the New Testament's a book of fulfillment, you should see it that way? That's because that's how Paul and the others saw that. He was saying, Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. But verse 6 tells us this. They resisted or they rebelled in blasting or cursed Jesus. And so he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This kind of comes from the Old Testament. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 13, he would say, shake out the dust from among the Gentiles. He was kind of saying to the Jews, the Gentiles that Jews tended to, des to despise, I'm treating you like that. I'm shaking the dust out. I did what I could do. I'm now going exclusively to the Gentiles. Verse 7 says this, and he left there. 
And he went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. He was a Greek, a Gentile, who worshiped God, who, who was one of those who had previously come to worship God. It was very easy. It was much easier for Gentiles who worship God to come to Jesus than the Jews because they already left everything. They already left their religion behind. They already left. They were probably already had lost friends and family to follow God. So to come to Jesus was, was just an extension of that. He may have been a very prominent man. He may have been the man named Gaius that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.14. Some think that, but he was probably pretty prominent. And get this, it's like Luke throws this in just like a little dig on the side. And his house was next to the synagogue. <laughs> they kicked Paul out. We got rid of Paul. No more Paul. He ain't going to bother us. And Paul just moved next door. You know, it's like the in-laws you can't quite get rid of. He's the next door now. You know, he just moved on. And so that's where he was. And so that's where he, I mean, I don't, he, he didn't do it for spite. I mean, this is just how it worked out. Verse 8, then another guy, Christmas. Now, let me just say, Probably what you see in verse 8, 9, 10, 11 is not necessarily chronologically here. He's probably just a synopsis of some general things that Luke is establishing here. Christmas was the leader of the synagogue. The leader of the synagogue was not the pastor. He was the person who administered. He was the, 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 the kind of the person who oversaw the whole thing. Okay? He is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.14. He's being baptized uh, by Paul. Crispus, who's the leader of the synagogue, notice this, believed in the Lord with all his household. He may have actually when originally one of the Jews to kind of ask Paul to leave. Paul goes next door, and the Jews are still hearing Paul. Somewhere along the process, he believes. The idea of believing is to have faith, to commit your life to. It's a very important word. He trusts Jesus completely. All right? And then his whole household comes to believe as well. But not only that, get this, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Remember last week we talked about the Athenians, only a few believed. But in Corinth, many believed. The message of Jesus took off in Corinth. They were becoming believers. And after they believed, they were being baptized. The baptism followed the belief and the baptism was the evidence to pointing to their salvation. Now, I just want to digress just for a second. There are some groups who believe that it's okay to baptize babies, infants. And part of it comes from here in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, the earlier, a little bit earlier part of his journeys, um, there was a jailer there who was saved. And it says, and he was baptized in all his household. And what they say is household would have always included infants which is true if there was an infant. But they're making two huge errors in their understanding of this. First, they're assuming that there were infants in the household. Gaius was not a young man. He, he, he was the head of the synagogue. He was going to be what's considered young. He was well past 80. No, I'm just kidding. He was, he was past 30, you know, 35. So he would not have had infants. They didn't have children. And some of y'all still got some, y'all are, y'all are whatever age, you're having infants young. Yeah, they didn't do it back then. So there's probably no infants. And then the jailer, when you were the Roman jailer or the Philippian jailer, that was not an entry-level position. That was the old guys, the old soldiers. It's like, it was like the Walmart of its day. That's where old people went, you know, kind of to, to hopefully if you're doing that, if so, then you prove my point. That's not the point. So that's where they went. So 
It says the other spade was taken to make or was taken to make. And this is to said the household believes in Acts 16. They all believed. Here it says they believed. Regardless of the age, and the infants don't believe, they all believed. And so they were baptized as light of that. Verse 9 says this. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision. Now, several times we see, especially on this journey, Paul having a vision. Um, Peter, and also in Acts, we see it one time, having a vision of the Lord. So let me just explain something to you a little bit about this so we don't get too confused. One is they were always in a state of prayer. I mean, they were praying. They were seeking the Lord's place. Remember, they don't have the New Testament yet. Peter and Paul hadn't written it. So they weren't picking up the New Testament looking for guidance. And so what they would have, these visions. And the key thing about the vision is that it's God revealing himself. What, these, what it means when it says vision is God's revealing. Now, it says there a man appeared or an angel appeared. That's fine. I get that. I believe that. But the key thing is the vision. We don't have visions today. Okay? I know people try to convince me they had a vision, and I'm just saying, don't buy it. I'm not saying you don't think you did, but I want to know several things. I want to know what you eat the night before. Is that part of it? I want to know, are you had these things before. I mean, I want to know more, but I'm just telling you, I don't, you know, if it bothers you, fine. I don't buy it because that's not how God works normatively today. He works through the Holy Spirit and through prayer. And so they, I mean, through the New Testament, they didn't have it. So we had a vision in the vision. It says, don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, which is a command and don't be silent. You know, don't be silent. You got to go. Now remember, understand this. This is what's happened to Paul so far. In his first missionary journey, he got ran out of places all the time. In this journey, he got, he got put in jail at Philippi. He got attacked by the Jews at Thessalonica. The Jews that attacked him at Thessalonica attacked him in Berea. He went to Athens and they mocked him and made fun of him and ridiculed him. Everywhere he's gone, he's been rejected and run out. He's probably thinking, I'm glad I got to Corinth. It's great, but they're going to run me out too. And God says to him in his vision, you're going to stay a while. He says, I'm with you. No one's going to attack you in order to harm you. Why? For I have many people in this city. This is going to be where the message of Jesus takes off in Europe. It's this location. You understand this. It's not in Rome. It's not, I mean, later on in Ephesus and that part of the world, it's across the sea. Yeah. But here, this is going to be the hub. And here's what it says in verse 11. And he settled there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. He was there 18 months. Now think about it. When we think, when we think of the church of Corinth normally, we think of all their problems, and I get it. Oh, that was a messed up church. I've heard that so much. I've said that. Boy, that was a really messed up church. You know why they had so many problems? Because they had so many people. Every time you add a person to the church, you add five or six more problems. You know that, right? I mean, it's just exponential. And the larger the church, the more the problems, trust me, I know. But do you understand that in the midst of rejection, rejection by the Jews, rejection, every pair wall went, everywhere he went. And here, the message of Jesus takes off. It's always possible for the message of Jesus to take off, even in the middle of you being rejected. 
When you share the word of Jesus, the story of Jesus with people you care about, they may reject it, and they may reject it multiple times, but at some point along the way, it is possible for the message of Jesus to take off. Just like it did in Corinth. But I need to share with you, though, hard realities that we have to understand. This past week, I, I, I saw something. Um, Keith Baldridge, he's the pastor of a church plant in the Denver area that we partner with. done a phenomenal job. He shared something somebody else said. And uh, he credited the guy who said it. I don't remember who it was that said it. Uh, and I'm usually paraphrasing this. But he, here's kind of what he said. The guy said something along the effect of people who come to our churches from the culture, people who are lost, not followers who come to our church, they don't come to our church so they can get life hacks. I just recently understood what a life hack was. <laughs> Where I come from, my generation, when you hack something, it's not the same as what you mean. Okay, you understand that. So they don't come for life hacks, and they don't come to be entertained. They expect you to tell them about Jesus, and they expect you to tell them from the Bible. You know, we have a culture that is counter to Christ. It is. But when they encounter you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you and I are entering into their world, we need to tell them about Jesus. And we need to tell them his story as we understand it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the other places in the New Testament. Listen, it's a hard thing, a reality. And here's something that I need to share with you, and, and this is true. When you do that, and some of you have experienced this already, the hard reality is, for even here, some of you will reject Jesus. You know that, right? Some of you even will reject Christ. We have people in all four services who need Christ. I know this every week. And every week, I walk out knowing there are people who need to hear Jesus, who need to follow Jesus, who come to Jesus, who reject Jesus. It's a hard reality. That people are not going to follow Christ. We saw way back early in this year when I went to the Gospel of Mark. And I shared with you back in January, at the very beginning, the basic message to Jesus. Repent. From your rebellion against God. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent from your rebellion against God. Believe the gospel, which is Jesus, and follow him. That's a very simple message. And people reject it all the time. People come here. And they come here even to experience Jesus, who will still reject Jesus. Not only that, but in your life, as you tell people about Jesus, understand this. Another hard reality is that many who hear the story of Jesus from you will reject Jesus. And I know it gets discouraging because you tell me it gets discouraging. It gets discouraging for me when I share Jesus with someone and they won't believe. And I know it's discouraging. But we shouldn't be surprised at that. I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew records, Matthew takes the basic core message of Jesus. From, and he took it from a time he preached it on the mountainside. And, and he summarizes it, and we find it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Luke has the message, core message of Jesus scattered around in his, his book. At the end of that message, when he's talking about what it means to be part of his kingdom, in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 13, he says to the people, enter through the narrow way. Because there is a broad way and a broad road that leads to destruction. That is hell. That is judgment. And many people travel that road. But there is a very narrow way and a very narrow road that leads to life. That is eternal life. And very, very few find it. Very few will find it. More will reject than will ever receive Christ. 
In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. All four Gospels record it. It's an unbelievable event. And the people cannot believe it. And they're, they're ready to take Jesus, to lift him up, to crown him the Messiah, to march on down to Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans. <laughs> and Jesus gets away. He tries to get away from them. And they keep following him and following him, wanting to do this. And so he preaches a really, really hard message to them. So hard that they begin to leave. And it says at some point, all of them left except the 12. And he looks at those 12 men that we know as the apostles. He says, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter looks at him and says, Lord, to whom are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and have come to know, well, you are the Holy One of God. Jesus it's the Holy One. We believe and trust in Him. Where else are we going to go? And yet people reject Him all the time. I always find it hard to understand why they reject, but they do. In fact, people who reject Jesus always have a good reason. Always have a reason. It's just never a good one. They all have reasons. The reason's just never good. And I hear them all the time. Well, you know, I don't think Jesus could ever forgive me for all I've done. Really? That's kind of an arrogant, pompous statement to say, I'm such a sinner that God can't do anything with me. Well, okay. Let's remember, if you come on Wednesday nights, we saw last Wednesday night, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said, I was the chief of all sinners. I sinned more than anyone. He saved me. I heard people say, well, you know, I don't think I could believe in a God or trust a God who lets all these things happen and who did this in the Old Testament. I'm like, so... You hear the story of Jesus will save you. And because if you have some preconceived ideas about God that are mostly incorrect, but you're so hung up on those, that when you hear a message of how you can be saved from your rebelling against God, you're not going to do it. It's like me saying, I can't stand somebody, but yet when I'm dying of thirst and they bring me a cup of water, I'm like, I'm not going to drink that water because I can't stand you. It's just some things are beyond dumb. Some people say, well, there are too many rules. Well, churches have rules. I get it. A lot of churches have too many rules. But Jesus only had two rules. Love God and others. That's one. And go share Jesus. Go share me with other people. That's it. So we've got to realize some things. People are going to reject him. So I want to share with you these last few moments three hard realities. The first is this. It takes work to share to help people follow Jesus. It takes work to help people follow Jesus. Paul, Paul got ran out everywhere. I mean, the bumper, we did the bumper, and I usually have nothing to do with that, but I kind of wrote part of the script out for that at least. And I want to stress, Saul of Tarsus was beaten up and rejected and had so many things happened to him. Why in the world would he keep doing this? It's hard. Got ran out of and put in jail in Philippi, ran out of here, ran out of there, and yet he keeps sharing. It's hard. I shared with you last week, man, you've got to become fluent in the story of Jesus. That's not easy. You've, you've got to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not like one verse a day, like whole books at a time. It's hard. The other thing I want you to know is the rejection of one, by one person may lead to the opportunity of another to follow Jesus. I know it gets discouraging when they reject I get it, but it may lead you to another opportunity. 
with someone else. We have people, this happens more than you may realize, someone will come up, start contending here, say, I like it here, man, I want to give my life to Christ. We'll say, okay, how'd you start coming? Well, somebody, so-and-so brought me, somebody brought me here. Well, like, who brought you? And a lot of times they'll say, well, they don't even come here anymore. They, they got tired, or they didn't like it or whatever, but I stayed. One person rejected, but the opportunity of someone else, it happens all the time. You don't know what one door that gets shut, and I don't like these cliches, one door shuts, another one opens. Well, sometimes no door opens. Sometimes somebody just meets you out on the front lawn, you know? Sometimes a window opens. I don't know how that cliche works. All I know is this. Some people reject, but not everyone. The third hard reality is this. The price you pay to share the story of Jesus is always worth it. You don't think it was worth it for Paul? He is in glory now. You don't think? Paul had no idea he was going to be the most influential Christian that ever lived. None. He was rejected. They rejected Paul. You you ever hear preachers say, now listen, when they refuse Jesus, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. That's dumb. They're rejecting you. Trust me, they are rejecting you because you're telling your story of how Jesus changed your life. He is your Lord. When they reject him, they're rejecting you, and it hurts. And it's a struggle. But then the one person comes, and it's always worth it. Last year on Epic Sunday, which is coming up in a few weeks, we were outside doing that baptism, phenomenal event. And I sat next to Debbie. And I looked over and I said, all the years of our ministry are for moments like this. All of the hard years makes this worth it because of this. So I, I began the message today with the statement that while some may reject and walk away, Others may believe and follow, but we don't know who those people are going to be. So we keep, in the midst of rejection, sharing Jesus. Some of you may be the ones who reject. You may be the person I said earlier is rejecting Jesus this very day, but you don't have to keep doing that. That can stop, and you can give your life to Christ. You can repent of your rebellion against God and believe in Jesus. And follow him. Why don't you do that? Today, some of you, I know it's a struggle. And you feel rejected. Your story is rejected. But you keep on finding the ways. And know that at one moment, in one day, the message of Jesus may take off in the life of someone you know and love. The message of Jesus may take off among the people we know. So as we come to our invitation, and we'll be here. And if you want to come and trust Christ or pray with someone, there'll be a lady up here if you'd rather have women, if you'd rather talk to another lady, that's fine. If you want to join our church, whatever the Lord leads you to do, we'll be here if you want to talk about it or pray about it. But understand this, when you walk out of this place today, realize that as you walk away, you're just one person away from the message of Jesus taking off. So, Father, in the midst of rejection, which happens so often, there can come the opportunities of people to come to you. 
But Father, we have to be willing to take advantage of those opportunities. We have to be willing, first of all, to give our life to you for faith in Jesus. And having trusted Jesus, we've got to be willing that even in the midst of rejection and the pain that comes to share Christ because we're always one person away from the message of Jesus taking off. And I pray now it would take off in our lives and in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? You come. We'll be here.